Russ could enthuse, I think, the most unenthusiastic people in the entire world. But I still wonder whether that leaves you cold. And I just want to be really real about the fact that we are seeing a sort of change in ethos uh, in our, our hearts, I believe, within the church. And what COVID did was something very cooling. Uh, it became very, very introspective. And when humans go into survival mode, you become very sort of myopic. You're very focused in on your own personal safety and also then on the safety of your immediate family and maybe then on the safety of your sort of immediate community. But what happens is we, we sort of we lose track of this kind of meta-narrative of struggle and suffering. So lots of friends of mine who work in the charitable sector said, you know, COVID was really hard for a number of reasons. We couldn't just do what we wanted to do, but also we sensed the disengagement from what we wanted to do. I was speaking last week just at the CEO's gathering of Christian charities, and some of them were saying about how much money they had lost as a result of COVID in terms of giving. I think Christian aid was down, you know, 15.5% on giving, not because of the cost of living crisis, but just because people are saying, actually, I just don't really feel that anymore. I'm not really feeling connected to the bigger story. I'm in survival mode. And, and what I want to speak to you tonight is a sort of a, a change of heart, because I believe there's a change of season coming in the church, and the church is waking up again to engage more broadly in Jesus' name for the sake of the local community and the national conversation. And, and I believe that in, in the Lord can redeem all things. In some ways, even through this week, reconnecting to something greater than ourselves is opening the eyes of the whole nation towards what service might actually look like. I'm going to start um, just by reading a little mandate, if you like, a little snapshot about the fellowship of the believers in the church from Acts chapter 2 verses 42 uh, to 47, but I'm going to be jumping around scripture over the next half an hour. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship to breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to one another as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added, to the number daily, those who were being saved. I, I believe in church. I really believe in church, which is probably not that surprising, seeing as I've been a priest for 20 years. It would be pretty worrying if I didn't believe in church. But, but I, I want to be honest and say that the journey to believing church has not always been straightforward, it's not always been easy, and it's not always been uh, monodirectional. You see, I found it easy to say I believe in Jesus Christ, I believe in God the Father, I believe in the Holy Spirit, but to say I believe in the church, well, that's something slightly different. We can say I believe in Jesus, but our generations, I believe, have become suspicious of institutions. And again, I believe the COVID pandemic has made us increasingly suspicious of institutions. And when we become suspicious about institutions, we begin to disengage with them and offer a distant critique rather than engaging what they really mean. And this is one of the key challenges that we face in terms of social transformation and the ministry to people on the margins of society as an organization. Because once we have a relationship with Jesus vertically, which is powering our faith, if we don't then have an institutional relationship horizontally, we lose the power of the fellowship of believers in order to transform the local community. So actually, we become disempowered Christians. 
And many Christians I meet in today's society, they see church as an optional extra. It's almost like um, I generally keep fit at home. You know, I, I, I might run on the treadmill or I might cycle my Zwift bike or I might do a few press-ups in the kitchen. Um, and every once in a while, I'll go to the gym and then I'll sort of have a bigger celebration of my exercise regime. And that's kind of good for me. And I show everyone how I'm doing and I feel quite good about myself. And it's kind of a fellowship of gym goers. But ultimately, my fitness is determined by my exercise in my own kitchen at home. And I feel like we've gone from the sort of 1990s to 2000 church, which was all about collective, into being quite isolated in the evangelical wing of the church and also and being quite singular in our focus and saying, actually, what matters is that I'm alive in faith. And the danger of a, a Protestant belief is, is that you know, salvation is very personal, which we believe is fundamental because we've come to faith in Christ for ourselves. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Through Christ, we're saved in personal relationship with him. But a personal relationship with God does not preclude us from a, a relationship with one another in his name. So the, the sort of primacy, if you like, the centrality of a personal salvation can mean a loss of social connection. And, and that's a real risk. And we, we talk about sort of that, that we're Catholic with a small c, but Catholic means collect together. You know, we are associated with one another. And, and we have to re-engage with that right now, even if our energy might still be uh, towards the self. And it's been a powerful week this week as we've seen the institution of the monarchy reframed by the humanity uh, and compassion of our Queen Elizabeth II. You know, five-mile queues around the South Bank. That's quite a remarkable thing to see. I, I loved seeing David Beckham queuing up the whole way. You know, I was just saying, it's a fantastic decision to, like, go, yeah, I'm going to do this the hard way. I'm not going to, like, jump into the queue with other celebrities. I'm going to do the whole walk. I'm going to be out here with the people. It's been really interesting just watching that narrative of people going, yeah, I can see there's, there's an act of public service going on there. It's making a difference in, in relationship to a woman who's marked out by 70 years of public service. There's this sense of re-engagement with the monarchy as an institution because of the witness of the queen herself. So I, I believe in the monarchy suddenly, many people are saying, because they're reflecting on the character of the queen. So we, we engage with the institution through the relationship with the individual. And as long as we're saying, you know, I, I believe in Jesus Christ, we should also by association say, and I believe in the church of Jesus Christ. Engagement in the life in the church is totally dependent upon my relationship with the person of Jesus Christ. So the, the church at large might not always look like a, a powerful force in the world. People have suggested that they can opt out of church because somehow it's an additional element to faith but church is not optional, it's a statement of being. If you're a Christian and you relate to Jesus Christ, then that personal relationship with Christ associates us with a horizontal relationship with church. Now, I believe in the institution of church because I believe in the establishment of the institution by the person of Jesus. And we're here to reflect Jesus' character in the institution. That's the bit we miss. So we critique the institution, so well, it's not very much like Jesus. You know, oh, I don't know what the church is doing today. That, that Jesus wouldn't do anything like that. And they can hold on, and we are the institution. If you're a Christian, therefore, it's on us to reflect what Jesus reflected. You cannot separate the institution for the person of the institution. 
You cannot separate the queen from the monarchy and say, oh, I don't know what the monarchy are doing today. You've got to look at what the queen is doing and then say, ah, I see what the monarchy is actually all about. Now, hopefully, we'll say the same thing about King Charles, who's our new king. See, I understand the monarchy because I understand the person of the monarchy. It's not an institution so much as it is a personal relationship. And where monarchies have gone wrong around the world over time and in history, they've nearly always gone wrong because the relationship between the monarch and the people has become disruptive. And so revolutions like the French Revolution were marked out by a breakdown of connected relationship to the point at which you can develop a republic because actually there's no associative relationship. Now, imagine a republic of church. A dissociative relationship from church between the people and Jesus and the people and the church. We would all become microcosmic Christians in the Republic of Jesus, who has no association with one another since we're all individual Christian nationalists in the little benefice of Will Vanderhart. And Tim would have a Tim Stillwell benefice, and we would be our own deanery leaders, and we'd have our own chapter meetings in our own homes. You don't know what any of those things are, but they're things that we have to suffer for your sake. You know, it's such a danger, there's such a risk in our society to get away from this idea that we own responsibility for the expression of this ministry on Jesus' behalf. You know, we, we have to say, okay, well, how is my church expressing the love of Jesus in a broken and hurting world? And people say, well, you know, the most important thing about Jesus is that Jesus died on the cross for my sake. And I'd say that's absolutely true. Without that, we wouldn't have a church. But Jesus shows us in his own life that he has come to usher in the kingdom and demonstrate the power of the kingdom and see social transformation come. So some Christians, particularly again in the Protestant church, say, well, look, uh, social, the social gospel, they call it, is kind of like a little bit coded and a little bit sort of negative. They're like, oh, I, I'm, I hate that social gospel. What they're saying is, I hate the idea that you get to heaven by good works rather than by means of the cross. So let's get rid of the good works and just focus on the cross. No, it doesn't work like that. You can't get rid of the good works and just focus on the cross. You focus on the cross and then the good works come in the package. You know, it's not an additional optional extra. The social gospel is the gospel. It's just not the whole gospel because the gospel is that Christ died, Christ is risen and Christ will come again and the church will manifest the risen Jesus in the way it loves the lost, the lost and the least in his name. I met a woman out here um, just last week. I was just opening the church for the condolence book. And she came in and she was going to open sheds for men to try and address the issue of male suicide in the local area and had an amazing conversation with her. And, and, and I made a few suggestions. And I said, you know, we've got this amazing cast hall. I wonder if we could get some guys in there to do this kind of work. And she said, yeah, but they're not the kind of guys, they're not your kind of guys. And I said, what do you mean, your kind of guys? She said, well, you know, they won't be posh. <laughs> I said, what do you mean? She said, well, it's not Parsons Green sort of people I'm trying to engage with. I said, we're not trying to engage with Parsons Green kind of people as an exclusive club of middle to upper class rich people. We are looking to engage with everyone in our neighborhood, wherever they come from, whatever their background. She says, oh, I didn't know that. 
I thought, she, she obviously thought we just catered for sort of rich white people. And I'm saying, no, they're part of the kingdom of God, but so is everybody else. They're just as important. You know, we, we've got to work harder here to dispel the fiction that what we're really trying to do is make people who feel comfortable feel more comfortable. You know, we need to work really, really hard to feel a little bit less comfortable and demonstrate that lack of comfortability in the way in which we engage with other people. That means that church might get more risky, which is great. I love risky church. You know, everyone's worried about the vicar, but what will, what will happen if someone swears at him in the middle of the church? I, I started off, my, my Christian ministry experience began on the security team of Holy Trinity Cheltenham. Now, I was not anywhere with Jesus, but the vicar saw some sort of potential in me, so he came up to me one day and said, would I love you to start serving in the church in some way? And I thought, oh, you want me to preach? He said, uh, he said um, so I'd love you to be part of the security team, so when something goes wrong, you have to sort of help us. And I'd like you to stand on the door for the first sort of 15 or 20 minutes of the service to sort of keep control. Well, during my tenure on the security team, we had someone turn up to church with a gun, with a real gun, and that was exciting because the whole of the flying squad suddenly appeared in the service to arrest this person. We had someone come to church with a samurai sword as well, which was quite interesting. And there was a full-on fist fight up on the top balconies, which went on for a really long time, like a, a sort of bar fight. And at one point, uh, someone clad in black, uh, sort of looking like they've just come out of a ninja movie, kind of ran down the aisle towards Mark Bailey, the, the vicar, and, 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 and sort of looked like he was just about to attack him. And Mark said, in the name of Jesus, be still. And then he suddenly froze, and it was like the Matrix. Um, <laughs> You know, it was risky church, you know, and actually it's incredibly exciting uh, and it was a great season of church, but what it reminded me was that God was on the move. Like, we, we, we don't want to come here every week and just kind of keep things warm and like steady and the same because the kingdom of God is advancing and the gates of hell won't prevail against it. So we're kind of going to wake up to that kind of lateral view of church again and go, what would it look like for us to become a little bit more messy? Now, messy is good because the kingdom of God looked quite messy. In, in, in Luke, you've got this amazing uh, encounter with Jesus uh, and, 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 and the ten with leprosy. It says, now on his way to Jerusalem. This is Luke 17, 11. Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. He was going to a village. Ten men who had leprosy met him and stood at a distance. Now, this is risky church. Here are ten men with a serious disease for which there was no cure. And, and, you know, that's going to be a little bit edgy. If this is COVID times, he would have donned a mask and probably goggles and gloves and stayed at a, a big distance, maybe had four vaccines in advance of talking to those lepers. And, and it would all have been quite safe. Um, but he engages with the lepers from a distance and they call out to him, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. And when he saw them, he said, go show yourselves to the priests. Wow, it's getting risky for the priests now. Jesus has sent 10 lepers just to go and meet all the local priests, which is, again, risky for the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed because Jesus is doing his healing work today. And then it says in verse 15, one of them, when he saw he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice. And he threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him, and he was the Samaritan. Now, just to be really clear, I know many of you know this already, but the Samaritans were not well regarded by the Jews. They were unclean. They were spiritual opponents. They were the enemy. And so the fact that here's Jesus, this revered rabbi, out of all of these ten, nine of them were Jews who had been cleansed and gone to temple for healing. The one... The, the Samaritan who was like 
unclean because of his, 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 his racial identity, not, because of his, not just because of his leprosy, comes back, throws himself prostrate on the floor and gives thanks to Jesus. Now, Jesus performs this miracle also as a sign. If we engage in social transformation, nine out of ten people will not thank us. Instead, they might actually write nasty things about us online. And, and, and we will not benefit in any way. The kingdom won't appear to grow. But out of every of those ten people that we touch with the kindness and the goodness, the healing power of the gospel, as we work out what it is to love people through difficult times, one will come back. And they will throw themselves at the feet of Jesus, and they will become part of his great family. Now, it's God's grace that God calls us to meet others' needs, because God cares about everyone, and he cares about their immediate circumstances. But God cares for our circumstances now, and he also cares for our eternal circumstances. All ten lepers received a blessing from God that day. But one received the double blessing. He received a physical healing, and he received a spiritual healing. Now, I want us to all believe and say, I believe in the power of God to use me to bring remedial support, care, compassion, love, ministry, finance, education, encouragement to everyone out there, and that in itself is a good thing. Because if we believe that we are just doing that for that kingdom benefit, that they might come back and have a spiritual awakening, then we have kind of lost the generous benevolence of God himself. We're saying, actually, I'm just a social gospel for the sake of evangelism. I'm always a social gospel, and I'm always longing that people will come to know Jesus, but I'm giving because God gave. And then if people are responding to God's generosity, then that's a second blessing. That's amazing. So all of us here are saying, there's power, there's purpose, there's value in me expressing the love of God in practical ways by ministering to people in their own circumstances. And the double blessing is that some of those people encounter Jesus and they will come back and say, I want relationship with him too. Sometimes the church has lost its way, either by saying the only value, the only importance is that we're just loving on everyone and we're not going to tell anyone about Jesus, we're not going to talk about Jesus, we're going to point to Jesus, we just want to just be just kind. That's great, fantastic to be really kind, but let's not lose sight of the fact that Jesus is offering more than just the care of the church. He's offering the care of the church and the love of his son who died and rose again. We're saying, actually, I want to serve you right now because Christianity is not just pie in the sky when you die. It's cake on the plate while you wait. So let's get both of those things going on because, actually, we can give you both ends. And, and you know, uh, uh, sort of in the 1950s and 60s, the church was doing amazing social things, but then we were edited out of compassionate society. So we just became a religious organization. And because it has to be fair, you know, you can't really be involved anymore. Um, so you just got to do the religious bit. You can't do anything else. But times have changed. And actually, the COVID pandemic, there were 200 people packing PPE in this building every single day. The NHS thought we were their new best friends. And it was fantastic because people in here serving their communities, their NHS, making a difference. And also, there was something powerful and spiritual going on. Now, we want to do both things, both ends. And, and increasingly, there are things that I want you to get enthused about. Of course, we've got great things. The IJM cycle is going off. I think we've raised 40,000 pounds approximately a year for International Justice Mission, which sets slaves free across the world. Children in slavery, in the most horrific circumstances, are being set free. Then we've got Crosslight. Amazing people here, serving people who are struggling with debt locally. They are writing off 
tens of millions of pounds a year, that organization, in, in, in people, for, for people who are in debt, writing off debts, liberating people from debt, freeing people from debt, and restructuring their finances. That's an amazing organization. We've got Glassdoor that serve the homeless here and, and, and serve them in, and, and we'll get the sleepouts going again when we're allowed. Um, the sleepouts coming up, if you want to sleep rough on the streets up at Sloan Square, just in a couple of weeks, join Tim and others. I did it last year, I'm not sure if I'm going to do it again. <laughs> I probably will, but... <laughs> no, I just said that, I kind of have to, don't I? Oh, please join me and Tim as we sleep rough on the streets. <laughs> 7th of October, come and join us. We will sleep rough on the streets and it will be really fun. And it'll probably rain, and it'll be really cold and uncomfortable. But we will know again what it feels like to suffer, to struggle, because actually we receive in Christ this, this we have received this comfort, and, and we want to share a comfort that we ourselves have received. You know, we, we long to express that comfort, and, 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 and we need to know what suffering feels like in order to demonstrate, to, to know what comfort feels like. And some of us have to be awakened again to suffering and struggle in order that we can say, I'm so blessed. I've received so much. I'm so grateful. The Lord has been good to me. How can I be good to you? How can I demonstrate uh, that goodness? You know, um, we have this amazing opportunity to weave together this story of blessing that God has blessed us with through the ministry of Charlotte Sullivan, who was this amazing benefactress of this local area. Now, she turns out to be absolutely, she's loaded. I mean, it's remarkable. She's like the queen. She's got all this cash and all these houses. But she doesn't hive herself off in those houses and live this, this great life that she could live. She was Lord Palmerston's niece, wasn't she? Yeah, she was Lord Palmerston's niece. And there are so many Palmerston roads in London that I know. I'm sure you do too. Because he had it all going on. Um, so what she does is, rather than put herself in an ivory town and live the high life, she says, what can I do to transform the local community? There's all these people who are working on the sort of cutting the underground. They're unhoused, they're struggling, so she builds St. Diana's Road so they had somewhere to live. Then she says, ah, oh, all these people are working around this local area, all these poor people. What am I going to do to help them? I'll start a men's working men's club so they can have some social life and some social fabric. And she thinks, let's create a promenade so people can start looking after their bodies. We're going to walk around the green. We'll have some green space. That would be really good for everyone. This is about I need to attend to their spiritual needs. What am I going to do? I'll, I'll build the mission hall and then we'll have events and activities there and times of worship in order that people can encounter Jesus. And, and then when she's getting a little bit further on in life and she's already planted all these amazing initiatives, she thinks, actually, we need a church. So why don't I join together with the diocese and I'll put loads of money in here and I'll build a church and I'll leave a legacy so there's priests like me and Tim and Louis who can carry on that ministry. So she has all these great ideas because she recognizes that what she's received from God is not just for her and God. So you can say, oh, well, I'm a Christian. I had a lovely time at home. Can you put on some more music, please, Jeeves? And instead, she says... <laughs> Here I am, I'm a Christian, I've been really blessed by God in all these different ways, and now I'm going to get out there, I'm going to make a real difference. And, and here is a lady, remember, this is 150 years ago, here is a lady who, in polite society, wouldn't have engaged with local, local rough gents who are wandering around here, but they all became friends with hers, they knew her by name. It wasn't just that she was aloof and from a distance and kind of wanting to ingratiate herself, 
She, she would have been like marching around in her Wellington boots, finding out what's actually going on. So I, I want to really, really encourage you to think about that kind of excitement for the gospel that says, here we have an opportunity to work out our faith with fear and trembling. Like, it sometimes does make you tremble. I mean, we have some interesting encounters. Louis was here doing a funeral the other day, but it was a, 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 her first funeral, amazing encounter with this family. And then one of the ladies from the funeral came in, and I just overheard the conversation. Thank you so much for what you did at that funeral. That really touched my family. I was thinking, that's a great, that's a ministry of benevolence and compassion. That's something we can offer. You know, I hear people come into the building. Oh, I, I bumped into one of your staff members. It made a difference. Oh, I've been part of this ministry. Oh, is AA starting again? I really want to go to a meeting. You know, all of this is going on, but, but, but the way we've become constricted over so long has left us a bit like, oh, I'm not really sure I'm into this. It's a bit dangerous. It's a bit broad. It's a bit out there. We've got to wake up to it because this is what the church looks like. You know, when we go back into that Acts passage, we have this sort of fellowship of believers. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, breaking of bread and prayer. That basically is eating together and praying, but that wasn't the sum of the whole thing. There were miraculous signs done by the apostles. They were together. They had everything in common. They sold their possessions. Hold on a minute. This is getting a bit edgy. They sold their stuff. They gave to one another as they had need. Every day, uh, they went to the temple courts, and, 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 and amazing things happened, and God added to their number daily. You know, one thing I'm really bored of in the Church of England in London is transfer growth. Have you heard of that word? Transfer growth. It sounds good because it's still growth, but it's just not really growth, because transfer growth in the church is like just shuffling cards. It's basically that some Christians move from one church to another church, but the sum number of Christians just remains the same. So there's no real growth going on there at all. Like, church was never meant to be us all just moving around going, ah, on trend, this new church, I should go there. Church was always meant to be growing church because of the compassion of the church for the world, which demonstrates the love of God, changes the relationship between the world and the institution, and leads to others coming to faith, the one in ten who will receive the benevolent ministry of the Lord and then react with gratitude and thankfulness. We have to mend our nets, and we have to have a passion for fishing again. Mending our nets recognizes our hearts need to change in order that we're open again to an edgy ministry of compassion and outreach. Fishing again means actually getting the nets and throwing them out of the boat and trying to catch something. <laughs> you know, actually doing the work and going, actually, this is what we're built for. Because churches were never, ever meant to be clubs. They were never, ever meant to be social institutions. They were always meant to be hospitals. And, and if no one's coming through the door, we become one of those nightingale clinics, you know, which cost a lot of money to set up, but no one ever actually went to any of them. You know, what we want to do is actually be real hospitals where we have equipment, we have people, we have kindness, we have skill, and now we actually have people coming in and saying, how can you help me sort my life out? And I would love the world to look at the church and go, wow, that is an example of how we can really do this, rather than the world going, oh, the, what do the church do again? Just remind me, what the, do the church care about? How, how can we, you know, what, what's their position? I think increasingly socially, and everything Ross said is right, the world is saying, everyone needs to help. We're in a mess. The question is, is the church going to step up and say, 
I want to be part of the solution. And, and the great news is that all the fun, all the joy, and actually the awakening of your spiritual life is so knitted into social gospel. You know, I've had the most fun and felt the most uncomfortable spiritually when I've actually been doing things outside of the box. And it's just great because you suddenly see these moments when only God could do it. Only God can really break in. Look, I, this morning, I um, was, as always, I like to bring an illustration from the morning now because I, I hear that people get jealous in the evening. Um, I, I was explaining that at rest, you're all producing 100 watts of power right now. It's amazing, isn't it? You're keeping the lights on, just only in your own body, which isn't as useful as keeping the lights on in your own house. Well, actually, you need both bits. Um, so if you just stand up quickly, everyone. Okay, and just sit down. Uh, stand up, sit down, stand up, sit down. Okay, great, that's it, you get the idea. You've just produced between 300 and 400 watts of energy. Amazing, remarkable, you've got more efficient. So if you just plug yourself into the mains, then we'll keep the lights on in the church for the next year. Um, and if you, if you started sprinting, you could actually produce potentially 2,000 watts of, of electricity in your body. Remarkable, remarkable amount of energy. There are 100 trillion synapses in the human brain, all firing little neurons. You're, you're alive, you know, you're electric. And, and yet, individually, you haven't really got that much power. You're like one solar panel. You're not really gonna, you know, do anything major. But imagine if you could knit together all of that electricity, the whole church, all plugged in. Imagine what it would be like for every single one of you to be connected horizontally as well as vertically. Not just your power, but receiving the power of God from on high and then networking that connectivity like a circuit of power in our community. Imagine this hundred people, every one of us connected in acts of service and love for the Parsons Green community. Imagine what they look like. Now, um, who, uh, challenge him, come and just give me a hand here. So, and Laura, just come out, out as well. So, so imagine we, we're a circuit, so you, if you two can hold hands, okay, great, and, and Laura hold hands with Jim, great, and, and, and you hold on to that. That's it, and you hold on to me. Now, at the moment, we're, we're sort of, we're in line, but we're not really unified in our purpose. But if we just join together, Laura, and if we hold hands. Oh, look at that. <laughs> <laughs> stocking friends. Can I, can I see that at the back? Let's break the, cir break the circuit and... and <laughs> now... We could all do that. Like, why don't you, just stay, you stand up the next row. Just, just, can we all just join hands with a few more people? I'm just interested to see how far this could go. Could, 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 you just, could we just get a few more people in the line? Uh, just a bit more. Yeah, join in. Yeah. Great. Fine, Matt. Thank you. And a few more people to join on with Matt this way, just going around this way. Yeah, go on. I don't, this might not work. <laughs> Let's just test it. Just test it out. Just test it out. Yeah, no, okay, yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Amazing. Great. Thank you. Give him more round of applause. Matt, Matt, our worship leader, said earlier, have you got like a little button? Is there a switch that you just press to make it work? No. It's just real. It's, it's, if you, it's just a circuit. Genuinely passes a current. Now, I just give you that illustration because we're called in Matthew 5.16 to let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Let your light shine before men. Now, ask yourself honestly right now, how, how is the light? How's your light going? 
because if you can just produce 100 watts on your own, it's not going to be very bright. No one's going to be writing home about the light because they're going to be going, well, this one person I know who's a Christian tries to do something, but no other Christian I know is really involved, so it's not really working. Now think about times in your 100 watts by 100 people, 1,000 people. Now you're talking about a real light shining. The church, social transformation. Everyone's saying, the church, St. Dionys Church, is doing X, and you should see the impact of that. Uh, at Christmas, how are we loving on local people, older people? How are we supporting people through community? You know, there is so much we can do, but when we do it together, we really speak of the power of God in our community. And the results will always be, wow, I really want to be part of that. Or, wow, that's really challenging. Or, actually, I don't really want to be to, anything to do with that, but I've seen it and I've responded to it. Now, I've said enough, we're going to share um, the communion meal now as a sign of our unity. You know, and I really want you to receive the bread and wine tonight. I, I had an idea about co about delivering all, but it's just too too messy. So we're not going to do that. But I want you to receive the bread and the wine, and and think I'm receiving that from the Lord because He died for me and rose again in glory. So I'm receiving that to my body, in order that I might fulfil good works that He's prepared in advance for me to do. So He's transformed me, in order that I might not I might both know salvation, but I might also know benevolence and compassion. So think about the people in your network. Let's make this connection horizontal this year and really engage for the sake of the world. We want everyone to know Jesus is Lord. We want everyone to know that God loves them. We want everyone to receive the benefit of the love of the church. We've got to make a decision in our hearts right now to mend the nets and then start casting them out of the boat and then we'll see something incredible happen. Lou's going to come and lead us in communion before she does. I'm just going to pray for us. Jesus, we want to thank you again that you love us and that you died for us. Whilst we were still far off, Christ died for the ungodly. Lord, we receive the knowledge of your love and compassion right now. But Lord, we recognize that we are recipients of your grace. You've called us to offer grace to others in your name without, without reward. And so we've, we just ask you right now, Father, would you, would you break our hearts again for the poor? Would you break our hearts again for this community? Would you break our hearts again for people who aren't like us? Enlarge our hearts, Lord. Expand our nets and give us commitment and courage to live edgy church together and to see Parsons Green and the surrounding areas transformed for your glory. In Jesus' name. Amen.